And I need your help with something as we get started today. If you have your worship notes, you can take those out. It'd be a great place to write it down. I want you to answer this question and think about this question for only a second or two. Because I figure if it takes you longer than 20, 30 seconds to answer these questions, then, um, then maybe, uh, maybe you need to do some more reflecting at home. But some of these should pop for you. Maybe the third one won't pop for you. But I want you to think about this question. What is it in life that maybe my parents gave me, maybe I wish that my parents gave me, that somehow, some way, I don't want my children to leave home without? Okay, what is it? Three things. I mean, boil it down, get it to the nitty-gritty, and say, I, I just can't let my ch- I just wish that I knew. I just somehow you know, would pay endless amount of money had I known this before entering into this big, bad, evil world. What is it out there? All right? Ready? you got about 30 seconds. Go. Write them down. Think about them. It's kind of quiet in here, so I think we need to have a little bit of music, some mood music. Guys, maestro. your answers. I want you to be thinking about those answers throughout the the time together today because we'll have a time where you can kind of come back and look at those. Uh, We're kind of taking off on this study through Colossians and we started it last week and we pick it up this week where we left off in verse 9 of Colossians 1 and where where we're at this week is really just kind of thinking about Paul and Paul's in prison, if you remember, across land, across sea, across land again, and he's in prison for being a Christian. And as he's writing this prison epistle, this prison letter to the church of Colossia, what is it in this big, bad, evil world, if you think about it, Paul being maybe the parent or the parental type here, what is it that Paul desires desperately for these believers in Colossia to have? What is it that they just absolutely got to live with, they've got to have, they've got to model, they've got to have in their life that maybe there's some comparison in our life as we live it out today that we're really not that much different. We may wear shoes instead of sandals and clothes instead of robes. We may be different in some respects, but in reality there's the base human needs of our life that has been true from the beginning of time. And maybe, maybe we can listen in on what Paul would say or pray or do or teach that maybe we can gain from today in our own life. And we're talking about getting back to a very pure and basic and simple, real stuff Christianity. See, Paul was in prison, so he didn't exactly have the freedom to go to Colossia. So he does the next best thing. He writes him a letter. He writes him this letter, but he even does something more than that. He actually breaks down to his knees, and he does something that I'm afraid that we have become so anemic at in our spiritual lives, is he prays. But it's not just that he prays, because I think we all pray. Every time we see the blue flashing lights behind us, we all break into prayer and fasting immediately, and we pray that God get me through this moment. 
So we're all about prayer, those rocket prayers, those short prayers, those God help me kind of prayers. But I'm talking about something far deeper than that. We're talking about something that not only is, Paul's not praying this for himself, he's doing what we want to call intercession. Maybe a totally new word for some of us today. Because again, I think our prayers are so anemic and so weak and so shallow and so self-centered that sometimes we miss this key ingredient to prayer. I love what uh, Walter Wink said in his, in his writings. He said, history belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. That's a powerful statement. That is ranking right up there with, with probably one of my favorite quotes now. And that, the fact that I think that I might have the power when I bend my knee on your behalf, that I might literally be able to pray in the future of your life. Well, Paul's kind of reduced to that as he's living in this 8 by 8 jail cell. He's kind of reduced to this whole idea of how can I help them and maybe I'm going to write them a letter and give them some information and here this information is supposed to be good for you. But I think we've learned in in church a lot because we've given out a lot of information that it doesn't necessarily change somebody. And there is something spiritual. There's something supernatural. There's something that I, I cannot even put my finger on till, to this day. There's something supernatural about prayer that somehow it pierces through all of the barriers and goes through all limitations of time and space and is able to reach the heart of God. And heart, God in, in all of His omnipotence and all of His omnipresence is able to pierce through time, back into time. And He's able to come into our lives. That's amazing. But Paul, whenever he's in this situation, he's thinking about these new believers, and he's thinking, what do these guys, these gals need to have? They can't leave home without it. They, they, they shouldn't go on this journey called life without it. What is it that they need? And he just begins praying it. And as he begins praying it, they begin realizing it in their life because times are very difficult at this point. Times are very difficult. And so I don't know how your list is going to line up with Paul's list, but I think maybe if you're kind of struggled with the three, maybe you got one, maybe you got one and a half, maybe you got two, two and a half, but you really couldn't nail down, you know what, I want my children. I want my life. I want my children's life. I want my best friend's life. I want them to have these three things. I don't want them to live in this world without them. What are they? Jot them down real quickly. This is what Paul prayed. This is what Paul wrote about. This is what Paul emphasized. And maybe, just maybe, it may be something that you might want to emphasize as you pray for your children, for your grandchildren, for whomever is around you. And again, notice the ministry of intercession. Him praying this into their life. All right? The very first thing is you don't want to leave home without. It's an absolute priority. You don't want to leave without it. And that's the master's plan from the master. All right? I need a master's plan. From the Master. Now, I think we could probably figure out real quickly who's the Master. It's not me, and it's not Dad, and it's not Mom, and it's not the school teacher, and it's not our boss. The Master is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that absolutely what Paul prayed for those early believers was that they would get in on God's plan. Now, I realize in this room there are lots of different personalities, lots of different elements. We've even been talking about this in men's fraternity. And there are some in this room that are detailed planners. You know, they get in there and they know what they're going to do in their world next month. They've got it planned out. 
they're already thinking Christmas. Okay? We're just now putting up the, the costumes and the candy from uh, Friday night. But they're already thinking Christmas. They've got their planners and their calendars and their, and their online programs and, their all, and they are very highly structured people. Now, if you're that person, raise your hand. All right. There's a good number of you. All right. That's good. I just hope God lets you know six months in advance that He might want to work in your life. Because, you know, if He's not in your calendar... If he doesn't fit into your agenda, if he interrupts your life, it may not go well for you, and you may miss God. So just be careful if you're one of those people. Now, you don't think that the impromptu people, everyone else who didn't raise their hand, all right, I don't think the impromptu people get off easy, all right, because I like the impromptu. I'm kind of the more of the planner, but I like the impromptu side because it, it's kind of freeing. It kind of gets me out of my stoicness. It kind of gets me out of my structuredness. And the impromptus, I like them because they're just a breath of fresh air. And what they do is they just go with the wind. The wind blows them here. The feeling goes them there. And, and they just kind of go along. Now, they can get some stuff done in life, but they may not get a lot of stuff done in life because they're just enjoying the moment. And really, you know what? I can learn a lot from those people who enjoy the moment because sometimes, because I am so structured, I don't enjoy the moment. I'm enjoying the task. And sometimes the task isn't so much fun. So the point being is this, is that we can get into no plan or we can be into a serious detail plan or we can be somewhere in the middle, but that's not the issue. The issue is am I on the master's plan. And I don't think a lot of us really go so far as to truly, critically analyze our lives to say, whose plan am I on? We just kind of say, you know, I go to church and I'm going to ask God to bless my plan. And that's as if we're the sovereign God of our own universe and that God's supposed to get on our agenda. Uh Uh-uh. We're supposed to be on God's agenda. It's Him. He's the King. We're not the King. He's the Lord. We're not the Lord. The thing is, is that Paul saw this as such an important part of really becoming a true disciple follower of Christ that he prayed it all the time. He, this was something that he constantly was praying. In fact, here's just a couple of these verses. And you just kind of watch them as they appear on the screen. This is what he prayed to the, the church of Philippi. He said, My prayer abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. All right? I want you to notice the common ground of what he's praying for all of these churches. Philemon, that other individual from, uh, from, uh, from Colossia, he prayed this prayer. He says, Pray that you may be active uh, in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Notice again, Philemon, Philippians, all of it coming down to praying for those around them. Praying for one thing, knowledge and insight, understanding. What God's about, what He's doing. Here's one to the, the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. You see the common thread? Constantly, 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 Paul is praying. Constantly, 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 he's praying for other people. Constantly, 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 he's praying for other people that they might have the understanding, the knowledge, the insight, the wisdom, the understanding of God and his will for their life. So now let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Great, he's praying for them. What's he praying for them? 
to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, I love that statement. And when I really broke that down this week, I, I began to really understand it more fully than ever before. You really get down as Paul is actually wrestling, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on in the study, but Paul's wrestling with a, 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 a new movement that's kind of arising called Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is where we get the word knowledge. And the interesting thing is that Paul's praying that they might have knowledge. Now, here's a, here's a cultish movement that's happening in that day and age. And it's growing this movement, and we'll talk more about it, but really Gnosticism is, yes, take Jesus, but take knowledge on top of Jesus. And you take Jesus and knowledge and put it together, and that's how you really attain eternal life and paradise and all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to break down Gnosticism today. I want us to notice very carefully what Paul is praying. See, Gnosticism or knowledge comes from getting your head in the book, right? It comes from spending time in the library. It comes from getting online and really doing some serious, hardcore research. You will gain knowledge. You will gain gnosis. You will gain gnosis. You will gain what, 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 what is the, that common word in the Greek. But what Paul does here, when you break it down, is he actually prayed that they might have epigenosis. Now, what's that mean? He put a preposition prefix on the front of the word, and it has a very key, it turns the entire word into something else. Because it's not just that you might have knowledge. You can get knowledge from staying in time, spending enough time in the library or enough time on the computer or enough time with the right smart enough people or the right professors in your life. You can get knowledge. But he wants God to grant them epigenosis, which means a spiritual knowledge, a spiritual understanding. See, it's not something that you're going to get from the latest best-selling self-help book at Barnes & Noble. It's not something that you're going to get from a professor. It's not something that you're going to get from some mathematical equation that if you work it, it'll all figure it all out. And you'll figure life out. You're not going to get what Paul's praying for through Oprah Winfrey. You're not going to get it through those sources. You might get some insight. You might get some knowledge. You might get some far out stuff too. But what we've got to latch on to is what he's praying for is not that you might spend more time in the library, not that he's against education, is that you might... Be filled, overflowing with the full knowledge, with a holistic knowledge of everything that God's will is for your life. Wow. I've had so many people come to me. I've done the same thing. That I want to know God's will. I'm facing a decision. What do I do? I go pull a book off a shelf. I go and I listen to somebody. I'll talk to somebody. I'll try to get insight from somebody. But you know what? I'm not going to get the epigenosis. I'm not going to get the full breath, breath, depth of all the knowledge of God by studying. I'm going to get it through a relationship. And what Paul is praying is that, that, that the Spirit of God would so fill them, so overwhelm them with the full depth, breath, breath, uh, breath knowledge of His will for their life. And I'll tell you right now, let's be very careful with this. This doesn't come through, through, through some kind of appeal. This will come absolutely through your relationship with Him. This knowledge, this, this, this depth of knowledge will only come. And that's why the best-selling book out there, I would say hands down, I've read it so many times I can't count it, is Knowing 
the will of God, or experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. Absolutely the best. But you know what he doesn't point, Henry Blackaby doesn't point people to is a formula, is to a plan, or to a program. He doesn't even say go live an impromptu life. The very first point he wants to make is that God wants a love relationship with you. And if you don't come back down to that very basic, then you're going to miss the whole, full, complete will of God. You know what? I don't need to leave home without being fully and completely aware of God's will for my life. Now, what happens when that happens? Well, verse 9 gives us his prayer, but verse 10 gives us the benefits of it. Look at verse 10. So that. Now, that's a very important word. Very important phrase. He's giving us now the reasons behind. Why should I be filled? Why should I know the Master's plan and be on the Master's plan? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. See, when I increase in the knowledge of God, all of a sudden I'm also increasing in the knowledge of His will for my life. The benefits are quite clear in our life why we should know God. There's benefits to ourselves. There's benefit to others. There's benefit to God. The first one is a personal benefit to ourselves is that you walk, your walk will match your talk. You notice what he says? He says, walk in a manner. Because you're full of God's will, because, because you are full of the epigenosis, that, that full and complete understanding of time and eternity and the big picture of things, because you're full of that and you have this relationship with God, guess what? You're now going to walk in a manner worthy. Worthy of the Lord. I have to admit that when I first read that phrase, I thought, that's going to be a hard one to put my arms around. Because I look at my life and I say, Mike, you're never worthy of the Lord. You're ne- I never walk in a manner that measures up to that I could ever be good enough or kind enough or giving enough or loving enough that I could ever measure up to be worthy with the Lord. And really, and I got to understand saying this phrase is it's not in a manner worthy of the Lord as if I'm going to achieve greatness or achieve godhood or achieve anything like that. It's walking in a manner that lines up. God's will's here. I'm walking in His will. I'll never earn it, but the, the idea is that I can now bear the name of Christianity. Like I said last week, I'm afraid too many people have claimed Christianity as their get-out-of-hell-free card. And it's just kind of like, here's my little card. It's my baptism certificate. And see, I'm okay. See, when I am really living out the Christian faith, I am fully aware of God's will. I am completely full of God's will. I am completely walking in a manner worthy of His will. I am literally lining up, my life is lining up with His will, and and I'm walking step in step. Here's a question. Write it over to the side for yourself. Does my character and conduct align align with my confession and my Christ. Does my character and conduct align itself with my confession that I am a Christian and my Christ? Or have I compartmentalized my faith? This is my secular world. This is my sacred world. That is one of the most unbiblical concepts in our culture today. Everything is sacred if you're a believer. My television time, my family time, my work time, my relationship, everything that I have, everything is sacred to God. 
Is that lining up? Or am I in line? I said this a few weeks ago. Your walk walks and your talk talks. But your talk, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. The tongue twister. But the point is this. Is don't, don't get hung up on your confession. Don't get hung up on your baptism certificate. Please don't let the church membership stumble you here. Please. Look at your life. Is my life measuring up? Or am I doing my own thing? Am I walking with God or am I doing my own will? Do I have my own agenda? See, when I'm, when I'm walking with God or when I'm full of His will, I will, there's personal benefits that I'm on His plan. When you go to work tomorrow, Monday, how will your relationship with God spill over? When you go to the polls on Tuesday and you get ready and you get in there and you start punching buttons, how much will your faith in Christ affect how you punch those buttons? See, every area of our life is it lining up with God. When I am fully aware of God's will, when I am full of His the knowledge of His will. The second benefit is the divine, divine benefit. It says your life will bring joy to God. Your life will bring joy to God. Notice that He says there in verse 10, pleasing Him. I don't know if you realize this, but God's an emotional God. And we don't think of God as being an emotional God. We kind of think of God as being some kind of stoic, cosmic killjoy. But He's an emotional God. There are times when He's sad. You can read it in Scripture. There's times when He's mad. You can read it in Scripture. There are times that you can grieve Him. There are times that you can make Him happy. This is one of those times that when I am living, when I am walking, when I am filled with the knowledge of His will and I'm living it out, when I'm on His plan, not my plan, then guess what? I'm pleasing to Him. And you know, I, I, don't, I can't unpack this completely today. I've never, in the years that we've raised three children, that's all we've got as, as, as my model, but I've never seen it in the, in the years that we've raised our children that they did not want to make mom and dad happy. That they didn't want to see dad smiling at them, approving them, approving their actions and their attitudes and what they do. And I realize that maybe you grew up in a home where you never ever saw your father smile or your mother love you and embrace you. I, I don't know what kind of environment, but please understand this. God smiles. God laughs. God enjoys us. He literally takes our offerings and it's a sweet aroma in His presence. The Bible speaks of that. And when my life is absolutely saturated in the epigenosis, full knowledge of His will, because I'm living in a relationship, not because I picked it up from some book or some pop psychologist, because I'm living in this relationship with Him, then go my lens! I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And God is smiling at me. But the third benefit of, benefits everybody else. And that's that others will enjoy your fruit. We talked about this last week. Because it says it in verse 10. Again, look at verse 10 with me. When he says, So that the, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit. 
Not only do I benefit from doing and knowing and living in His full knowledge of His will, not only does God please with that, but also those around me, they get to enjoy the fruit of, that comes off of my life. Bearing fruit. Now, what's the fruit? We talked about that last week. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the point is, is that who wouldn't love to be around somebody full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Who wouldn't love to be around somebody like that? You know, following the Master's plan is realizing that His plan is far greater than my plan. Or His plan is far greater than my impromptu living. And that He has a beautiful plan for my life. And I need to get on it. I need to be filled with the full knowledge of His will so that in every way I'm walking in a manner worthy I'm pleasing to Him. And I'm bearing fruit. You know, where I'm standing right now, in my years of growing up, I would never have dreamed I would be here. And if you knew a lot of my conduct and lifestyle then, you would have never dreamed me being here. I would have never put missions in Africa and moving my family there even remotely near the radar screen of my life. But I can tell you this with absolute honesty, and I've thought long and hard about it all weekend, getting ready for this weekend, is I wouldn't step down from where I am to be a president. Because I absolutely know where I am, it's not because my, my, I have the highest career out there and calling out there and yours is lesser than mine. It's just I absolutely positively know that this is the full knowledge of His will that God has me on this path. And you know what? I could do business and marketing or something like that or teach or something like that. But you know what? This is it. This is it. And I don't want to do anything else. It brings me the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment. Not because you're in the ministry. That's not it. You can be a businessman, a teacher, a homemaker. You can be all that. The key and the whole picture of this is knowing the full knowledge of His will, the epigenosis, so that when you're living it, you're in the sweet spot of life. Here's a verse very common to many. I want us to read it out loud together. Jeremiah 29 11 says it like this. I know the plans I have for you. Read it with me. Or maybe it'll be there, maybe it won't be. All right. Here it is. It's not going to be there. All right. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has a plan. It's a beautiful plan. He has an awesome plan. The problem is some of us are so impromptu or some of us are so, so OCD on our planning that there's no room for God. Unless God gives us a memo six months in advance, we're going to miss Him. Be filled with the full knowledge of His will. The second thing that you don't want to leave home without is the power for the pressures of life. Power for the pressures of life. I don't know if you realize this, but you need to wake up every morning realizing that you are in a war zone. You're in a war zone. You are the spoil. You are the trophy. You are the the object of battle. And you are either the spoil of war and in the enemy's hands, or you are a conqueror and fighting on the winning side. Now, the war metaphor is not very appealing, I have to admit. 
I don't like talking about it. I really don't like dwelling on it. But the, the hard, fast reality is that I am in war. It's a battle for my soul and my spirit. And if I don't come to the realization of that, I will truly miss it in this world. I will mess up and miss out in this world. I cannot let that go there. R.G. Lee said, uh, said it very well when he said, if you wake up in the morning and you don't meet the devil face to face, it just means you're walking in the same direction. Now think about that one. If you wake up in the morning and you don't meet the devil face to face, it just means you're walking in the same direction. If you can live out your life and not realize the tension in your spirit and the tension in your soul and the battle for your loyalty and the battle for your mind and the battle for your heart and the battle... If you don't realize that, it just means you're going with the devil. Again, I'm not trying to create this kind of fear mentality in here today. I'm trying to wake us up to the reality. Wake us up to the reality that we're at war and that I don't need you leave home without the power to handle the pressures of this world. Because they're all around me and I can't get away from them. In fact, Stu Weber, a former Green Beret turned pastor in his book Spirit Warrior, he said it like this, to assume peacetime posture during a time of war is self-destructive. For me to live in this world and think everything's peaceful and A-OK in my world, and not realize that there's a battle for my spirit out there, going on out there, going on inside of me, to to live in a peacetime posture is self-destructive. Be aware. Be fully, completely aware that there is a battle going on. Look at verse 11. He says, this is another thing he prayed. He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. The second thing he prayed, that they would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for an attaining the steadfastness and patience, steadfastness and patience, that they would have the strength that they need to live out the faith that God has called them to live. The reality is is that we are the spoils of war and that we are the hunted in this world on a spiritual level. I want you to read this verse with me as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I put some some statements in here kind of as an amplified version of this. So you'll see the bracketed areas, and that's, that's, that's mine. I want you to read it with me. Be sober spirit. Be of sober spirit, excuse me. Get your head out of the sand. Actually, it should be sand. I'm sorry. <laughs> be on the alert. Put on some spiritual glasses. Your adversary, he hates you with a passion. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour, he's got your number. The reality that literally I'm hunted, I'm being hunted by my adversary, he's got my number, get my head out of the sand, wake up to the reality. And listen, it's helping our kids to realize this tension in their own life and praying for them that they would be victorious. I sometimes don't know what to pray for people. But somebody, sometimes their name or their, their life will come to my heart, and so I just pray for them. And it's been something that actually I heard one other person say this. When you pray for me, pray this for me. If you don't know what to pray, pray this. And since that time, I have been praying that for myself and for anybody else that God may lay on my heart that I don't know what else to pray for them. It's real simple. You can remember it when you leave here today. You can pray this for me if you don't know what to pray. Pray this for your family. If you don't know what to pray, pray this for your kids. 
whatever it is. God, keep him close and clean. Keep him close, keep him clean. See, if I'm close, I'll be close to God. If I'm close, I'll be, I'll be hot with God's heat. If I'm close, I can hear His voice. If I'm close, then I'll be able to be in that tight relationship with Him. So I can be filled with the full knowledge of His will. Keep Mike close. Keep Mike close. You've heard of the hot poker principle? You take a hot poker and you put it in fire, and boy, it gets red hot. It'll melt the metal. It'll melt the steel. You pull it out. You put it beside the fireplace. It's not in the fire anymore, but you take it out and you put it beside. What happens? It gets cold. You can hold it in your hand. It goes back to black. You know what? I want to stay close. I want to stay hot. You want to pray for me? Say, keep Mike close. But the second thing, keep Mike clean. Because the cleanliness of my heart and the cleanliness of my life and the cleanliness of my mind and the cleanliness of my attitude and actions is very fundamental to the usefulness of my life. So when you don't know what to pray for anybody, pray God keep them close and clean. Because just the great news is just as Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour, i got great news for you. Here's another verse I want us to read out loud together. And it is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, where it says this. Read it with me. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Just as Satan's eyes are, are, are on the earth looking for it, so God's eyes are on this earth looking for whom He may bless, looking for whom He may challenge, looking for whom He may grow, looking for whom He can use. But you know what? I don't need to leave home anemic. I need to leave home every day fully empowered by His Spirit, fully in line with His will. And lastly, listen to this. You don't want to leave home without it. An attitude of gratitude through the seasons of life. Oh, my lands, you can't underestimate the value of an attitude or a perspective. Oh, that I might go through life and know His plan and live His plan, that I might go through life and be full of His power but have a horrible, rotten attitude. How contagious is that in Christianity? Not at all. I need to go through this life fully aware that I don't care what season I'm in, I don't care what bump I'm on, I don't care what valley I'm in, I don't care what mountain I'm on, that God is God and He's awesome and He's awesome no matter what I'm going through. It's His awesomeness, His holiness, His beauty, His great, His might has no effect, has no, no, no real impact from my life. He is just who He is. And that's how I'm anchored to Him. And that's why my life rests in Him. My attitude comes from Him. Victor Frankl said it like this, the last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. I get to choose my attitude. Listen, I, I may not choose a lot of things. I may not choose the job that I do. I may do things that I don't like doing. I may not get to choose some of the friends that I have around me and the team that I get to work on. I may not get to even choose where I live and where I go to school. I may not get to choose a whole lot of things in life, but I can still Still, no matter what, choose my attitude. Would you agree with that? Nobody's going to force an attitude on me. I choose it. I wear it myself. Verse 11 says it like this. He says, I pray that you'll be full of the knowledge of His will. I pray that you'll be, be strengthened with all power. But I also pray that joyously giving thanks 
to the Father. I want you living out your faith joyously. I want you to be full and overflowing, joyously living it out. John Maxwell tells a story in his book called The Winning Attitude. He tells a story of going to a gas station. He says it was a rainy day. It was one of those full-service gas stations that are so few and far between these days. But he pulled up to this gas station, and these attendants in the middle of the rain ran out and started taking care of him, washing his window in the rain, checking his oil in the rain, filling up his gas in the rain. They had a great attitude through the whole thing. He went in to grab a Coke or grab something to eat, and he, he walked in, and the, the front door of the, uh, of the gas station, he was greeted. He was just, like, surprised. He goes to the restroom. It's all clean. Everything's nice about this place. He sees a sign hanging above the manager's office on his way out. It said this. It says, Why customers quit? 1% die. 3% move away. 5% are friendship or other friendships. 9% competitive reasons, prices. 14% product dissatisfaction. But 68% quit because of the attitude of indifference toward them by some employee. Now, you know, I bring that here to us today. You know, I think some people really, 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 really want something of significance in their life. They realize that their life is not complete in and of itself. So they start getting into this world looking around. They start looking around, trying to find peace and contentment and fulfillment. And they've heard some great things from some churches. They've heard some sour things from some other churches. And so they come and they try it out. And they try it out and they see that these people, they have the knowledge of God's will and they talk these super spiritual things and they're walking in the light and they're talking about these things that, wow, wow, I want that. Talking about the full knowledge of His will. Then they go on and they go on a little bit further and they see how these people can go through the storms of life and how they just kind of keep on and they don't quit and they kind of hang together and they, they lift each other up when they fall down and that's great. But then they get really close to us. You know what they smell? They smell our attitude. They see what happens when we really get rocked. Instead of giving religious cliches, they really see. And it's maybe, it's maybe what turns them off from the faith is our attitude. You know, it is our attitude. It is our, the power and the strength of His presence within us. It is the full knowledge of His will that is going to be so vital to living out a faith that is 100% pure, real stuff, Christianity. Would you pray with me? I don't know where you're at in your life today, in faith today, but I hope that I hope that you are living in and you understand what I'm saying when I say the full knowledge of His will. And that may be just really hard because I know a lot of people struggle with the knowledge of His will. They look for it in a formula. They look for it in some quick fix. And it's not that. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you just feel beaten down in this world. And you don't have the, the strength and the energy and the power and the perseverance and the endurance that Paul prays for to go the distance. You are just ready to quit Quit the relationship, quit the job, quit the faith, quit whatever it is. Maybe you're here today and your heart is full of everything but joy. Everything but thanksgiving. 
You know, you've got it good compared to other people around you, but there's something about the attitude that it's sour. It stinks. It's not good. If you're going to go out into this world and, and be victorious, I think what Paul was praying for those Colossian believers, for these three simple things, be full of His will, be strengthened by His Spirit, and have the attitude of thankfulness, joyously, full and overflowing, so that people will know that you love Him. Father, You're beautiful, You're awesome. And Lord, I can't even put my arms around. All there is to the faith, and it's so hard sometimes to, to try to figure it all out. But Lord, would You just fill me with the knowledge of Your will? Would you fill everyone in this room? Give them a sense of right now knowing I'm walking with God or I'm not. I'm facing a decision and I need to know His will. Lord, give them the sense of that epigenosis, a full knowledge of You. Lord, I would pray that You would keep everyone in this room with a life that's so set apart and strengthened that go the distance with strength and endurance that you're keeping them close and clean. Close and clean. And Father, I would pray that we would, we would stand today, we would sing today, we would, we would live out our life and our faith today with a joy-filled life. One that declares our love for you like nothing else. Well, we thank You, we praise You in Jesus' name.